0: like, as I said this evening, to look at what it is to be established by grace and to look at these verses, verses 7 onwards. And really to look at it in the context of the passage. And it's interesting that in verse 6 you've got that quote and uh, the quote which says, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. And the writer to the Hebrews has been talking in that opening section of many issues in the Christian life. The need to love the brethren To give hospitality, to show care for the prisoners, to keep faithful marriages and to avoid the love of money. And all those things can only be done in the strength of the Lord and resting on the power of his promises. And that's why you have in verses 5 and 6 this emphasis. He himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. In other words, if that promise is true, and if you believe it and your confidence and trust is in the God of the promise to be there for you and to help you, then you will be able to live to his glory in all of those different areas of life. And so as one says, faith in the promises of God is the power to live a radical yet normal Christian life. To live like the writer is describing takes that supernatural strength. It takes strength to love one another. It takes strength to risk with those that you don't know, those who are strangers. Mm. It takes strength to be faithful in your marriage when things are hard and they are not how you thought it would be. It takes strength not to become taken up and concerned only with material things and with money. And the verses that we're going to move on to look at tonight, they speak about that strength. And where we are to get it, how to rest in it. And the lessons that we're going to see, they're not new to us. But what maybe is slightly different is the way that the writer frames them. And the way that he brings this principle across. And I struck really as I was looking over the passage yesterday morning. And uh, to to consider these verses. And really one of the main questions that comes from these verses, verses 7 onwards. Is how is your heart? How is your heart? It's a question I've been asking myself a lot recently. And if you look at verse 9, the writer says, Don't be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. And so I ask myself and I ask you tonight, is your heart strong? Now, not your physical heart, but the inner you. And, uh, you know, all that which encompasses, you know, the way we think and will and and hope and fear and trust and long and grieve and rage and rejoice. The inner man, the inner man that Paul, for example, speaks of and prays for that it would be strengthened in those believers in Ephesians 3. And so how are you in your inner man? Are you strong there? Sometimes we feel strong in that way. Other times, not so much. But we should always want to know and we need to know where do we go for the strength. And so the text says it is good that the heart be established by grace. And this is a good thing. It is good. You know, it is good that we desire and look to these things. It's something that we should desire even now to have an established heart, a strengthened heart to live for the Lord consistently across the various elements of our lives. And that's not just an external show. It is the overflow of the heart that changes the way that we live, the way that we are. And I desire more of that in my life and I hope that you do as well. And I long for the Lord to work that in me more, in us more, that we'd have those hearts established. So how does the writer bring this principle across? Well, he speaks about grace and not food. And so verse 9 tells us where we should turn and what we're not to turn. We're to turn to grace and not to food. He says, it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods. And so it's clear that when he's writing to these believers, that there were some in the church who were promoting strange teachings about the power of certain foods and diets. And it's good, really, that we're not given every detail because people get fascinated by these things. You know, when we consider our own day, the dietary market is very lucrative. And uh, that can be true, you know, in religious food routines and various diets, which people draw from the Bible, fasting and abstinence and the Daniel diet, all those sorts of things. And also secular routines, things like supplements and, you know, fat-free, sugar-free, low-carb, organic. Now, we need to be wise. Some of these things can be helpful to us. I know that I, for example, need to go on a diet soon. And uh, they're good for us and necessary for us, but they can become an obsession for people. They can put their hope and confidence only in that. It becomes life-consuming for them. And the danger is that the promise of well-being that they give can become the promises that we hope in and live by. So the next diet or the next process, etc., that's where our hope is. But against the misuse of food, the Lord says it is good for the heart, the inner man, to be strengthened by grace. And the warning then comes against strange teachings that elevate diet to a place where they become the givers of hope, the givers of strength in our lives, rather than really where we should be running to. And we need to learn to have our hearts established and strengthened by grace day by day. And we need to feast on something else. We need to feast on grace and forgiveness and hope. And you say, well, how how do you do that? How do you eat the thing that strengthens the inner man, the heart? You know. And so if you wake up in the morning and you feel terrible, maybe because of troubles that you've had from the day before, what do you do then? Or if you're carrying a burden over, how do you go on then? Now, it can at times be generally helpful to do very practical things like eat right. You know, it's good to get in the fresh air. I was speaking to someone recently, another pastor, that John and I know, and uh, I returned his call, and his wife answered and said he's just gone out for a walk for his constitution. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's good. Those things are helpful, but the believer is to first eat grace in the morning, and in fact throughout the day, so that the inner man is strengthened by grace. How do we do it? Well, verse ten. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. So the writer is speaking of the priests in Jerusalem who had rejected the Lord Jesus as their Messiah, but who continued to serve in the tabernacle. And the whole purpose of the tabernacle was to point to the Lord Jesus as the final sacrifice and the cross as the final altar of sacrifice. In fact, if you read Hebrews 9 and 10, that's what those chapters are all about. So the altar the writer has in mind is the cross where our final sacrifice was offered once for all for our sin. That is where our true food is found. Our true sustenance. The table where this endless grace has been prepared. This grace flows to us from the cross of the Lord Jesus. From the cross where the Saviour died for our sin. And so if we want to be established in our hearts, as the text says, when we're groaning inside, when we when we know our sin, when we know our stumblings and our failures, there is only one place that we should turn. And that's to go to the cross to eat again that blood-bought grace of forgiveness and hope in the Lord Jesus. Verse 11, it's interesting that the writer explains that on the Day of Atonement, in Leviticus 16, you can read all about it. But after the blood of the sacrifice bull and goat is taken into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled there to cover the sins of the people, the bodies of the bull and the goat will be taken outside the camp and burned. And so he says, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burnt outside the camp. And so the point is being made that these sacrifices were not eaten As with other sacrifices. And so on the day of atonement the nourishment for the people came from the forgiveness and hope not the meat. And so that pointed to Christ. It's the lesson that's so clear. Verse 12. Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. And so Jesus fulfills the sacrifices of the day of the atonement. They are completed in him. He is the once for all final sacrifice. They find all their meaning in him. And so just as on the day of atonement, the people were to be nourished with the forgiveness and hope of the sacrifice. So it is at the cross that we find that full forgiveness and certain hope in the work of Christ who gave himself to be consumed for us. So practically, when we feel like failures, when we feel discouraged, when we feel cast down, when we feel without hope, you know, we shouldn't turn to the cupboard, but to the cross. Mm -hmm. To go to the altar of grace where there is food for the inner man, the grace of full forgiveness and certain hope, and we keep going back to that table again and again because that ultimately is the sustenance that we need. And, you know, I need to be reminded that eating at the altar of grace is the only way to survive. I need to be reminded of that because, you know, as one who holds responsibility, I know that I need that strength which only the law can give so I can be a help to you. To be there for you and alongside you in the various things that you're facing, to listen when there are disappointments, to offer comfort, to point to the scriptures where there is... Searching for answers or guidance and to keep pointing you to the Lord when everything seems bleak. And strength for that task has to come from elsewhere because it's not in me. <coughs> and likewise for you in your lives day by day in all that you're facing and all of you are facing various things. And the strength that you need is not found anywhere else but at the altar of grace and in Christ. And so we have to keep going back to that cross, to the Saviour the one who died and rose again, to those never-ending stores of grace which he delights to give us. He's abundant, he's generous. You know, we sung last week, he giveth more grace. I don't think we could sing it twice in a row, Mm -hmm. but it's the right emphasis, he giveth more grace. And I want to be further established and strengthened like that, and I hope that you do too. And so together we have to stay close to the cross, feast upon the grace of God, because that is the strength That matters all the way through this life. More so than physical strength. And you know something more? The Lord delights in those who trust him in that way. The Lord delights when we go to him. And hope in his grace. It pleases him. Psalm 147. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. In those who hope in his mercy. It delights the Lord when we rely upon him in that way. And so when we find ourselves going through the difficulties of life and even when we find ourselves in the valley of death, food won't help us then, nor will any diet. The only thing will be that we are nourished and sustained by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so we have to keep going and consuming that grace that is there in the Lord. But then if I can, I want to just refer you back a couple of verses because there's more help available to And that's through godly examples. The writer tells us where grace is prepared and available through the cross and in Christ. But he also tells us how to keep faith in grace alive. And he says in verse 7, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. The writer to the Hebrews emphasizes the importance of examples and those who are models to us. Models of faith. You know, you think of the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And so, not only do we need to know where we can find that grace every day, but we have to remember the examples of those who have trusted that grace and loved the word of God, maintain the walk of faith, and proclaim the scriptures. We've got to allow those who have gone before to encourage us. You know, those maybe in our lives, maybe, you know, it's the testimony of your parents or grandparents. Maybe it was a pastor or a missionary, someone who held responsibility in that way. Maybe it was some faithful servant in the church. Or you can go beyond those that you know or knew personally. You can think of those leaders in the church in the past who God has used mightily. You know, the Reformation anniversary is coming up soon. So you think of the likes of Luther and Calvin or later Edwards and you go on Spurgeon and, you know, all sorts. Lloyd-Jones, you think of them. It's not just interesting to see those men and those women who were faithful in the things of God, but there's spiritual benefit. Yesterday I spent time reading an article on Spurgeon and uh, the article was all about how he ministered through adversity. And looking at his experiences and his battles in ministry and his testimony by his own hand, it was just a real blessing to my heart. Because actually... Some of the things that he experienced and knew in his own heart, I could very much associate with. So it was an encouragement to me to think those who have walked in that way before. And the exhortation in verse 7 is to look at the outcome of their conduct, literally the exit of their way of life. To look over their lives, to see how they ran, to see how they finished. Did they hold fast? Did they finish well? Did they persevere to the end? You have many who run well for a time and then peter out. But you look to those who persevere, those who end well. As one says, that is why dead heroes are more important than living heroes. Living heroes are important, but they might cease to be heroes before they die. We consider those who've run and ended well. Why? And so why is there this consideration of human leaders who proclaim the word? Particularly the emphasis there is those on who have the responsibility of preaching the truth, men of God from times past. Notice that the writer is not saying to copy their conduct. He's saying imitate their faith. You know, if you if you try and imitate conduct, the danger is you become a kind of counterfeit. And I think that's happened that many times you you have men who try to be like some great preacher that they know. And really they just end up being, you know, it's just a bit fake. It's not them. It's who they're trying to be. And the danger is that you can learn the forms of godliness, but know nothing of the true power that comes from that genuine faith. And the writer is saying, look over the whole course of their conduct, see how they ended and then cling to the same strength which enabled them to be like that because it wasn't them. It was the Lord and their confidence in him because their faith is in Christ. And so we consider the faith. And that's why you have in verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so you see the pattern. They trusted Christ in the past. They proved him in the past. That's an encouragement to us. And now we are to go on today and tomorrow, and however long the Lord gives us, trusting the same Savior. The same Savior that brought them to the end is the same Savior that will bring us to the end. And he is the same today when we trust him as he was for those precious brethren in the past. And he will be the same tomorrow when we trust him. And so he will be for those who by God's grace follow us, if it please the Lord to tarry. And it's so vital to see this cluster of verses together concerning grace establishing the heart and strengthening the heart. Because if the Lord Jesus were only important for what he did on the cross, then it wouldn't matter if he's the same today and tomorrow because the only thing would be the past work on the cross to redeem me and purchase my forgiveness but though that vital saving sacrificial work on the cross is glorious and essential it is equally vital that Jesus is alive today that he's alive now that he is with me now to help me now and tomorrow and forever and that is exactly what the writer emphasizes here That we can know that the living triumphant Christ will never leave us or forsake us. And so the faith we must imitate is faith in past grace, but also present and future grace. And we've said it before, we need to say it again. Grace saved us in that first instance, but it is grace that keeps us all the time. And we forget that. We think of amazing grace, past tense, that saved a wretch like me. But I need grace today. I need grace tonight and tomorrow. So do we all. And so that's what we must continue to look to. Faith in the Saviour who died. And yet who is risen. And who is a present help for us. And so we need to feast on that grace every day. And so if we wake up. And we feel discouraged. And we feel very much aware of our failures. And the mess that we often make. If we feel without hope. Our hearts again need to be established by that grace and those elements of grace that the writer speaks about. The grace of forgiveness that is based on the stunning past substitutionary work of Jesus on the cross that deals with all my sin. But also we need that grace that is there for the future. That the living Christ, my Saviour, will help me as he promised today and tomorrow and all those days ahead until he calls me home to be with him. And when we know that forgiveness, when we know that confidence in the help of our amazing Saviour, whose resources are without limit, who is the same yesterday, today and forever, we really will be strengthened because we'll remember and realise that actually it's his work in us that is vital, his presence in us, our union with him that enables us to press on through the next day and the next and the next. If it was just down to our strength, well, we'd be done one way. And so that's the wonder of grace in the life of a believer. That's what we need to remember. It's so practical and really it's so simple, but we so easily forget. But we need to keep coming back, established by grace, feasting on that grace, delighting in the Saviour. And as we do so, we'll be helped day by day. That even though times may be hard, he will keep us and he will see us through and